0: With streamers, CE manufacturers, and content providers fully engaged in delivering virtual linear channels, the U.S. fast market is set to double in size within two years. Listen on to find out why.
1: And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News. And Colin Dixon was the voice you heard right there at the beginning from End Screen Media. Hey, Colin, how's everything?
0: Doing great, Well, I don't think I'm doing as good as you, though, because uh, you're the one who's doing the traveling, and this time for pleasure, right?
1: Yeah, I'm feeling a little aloha spirit right now, but alas, it's going to end in the next couple of days, so um, enjoying it while I can. But you have been actually, uh, you have been busy forecasting the Uh, ad revenues expected, excuse me, in the so-called fast market. You've released a new report this week in conjunction with Verizon Media. And on today's podcast, you're going to explain all about that and your assumptions. But before we get into that, we just want to highlight a couple of quick news stories. And you're going to go first.
0: I am. And one of the things that caught my eye that may have escaped some of our listeners' uh, I Will, was this story this week that Tubi and Fox Sports have teamed up to launch Sports on Tubi. And believe it or not, they're launching 10 live streaming channels from partners, including the NFL and Major League Baseball. And this is, they've already got a couple of sponsors signed up, Applebee's and Uber Eats have signed on as inaugural partners for this. And it's gonna really include a whole bunch of sports from, as I said, NFL, MLB, Be In Sports Extra, Be In Sports Extra in Espanol, Fubo Sports Network. Boy, there's just a whole bunch of stuff here, Will. And the interesting thing for me is two things. One is that this really is a great example of how sports are really beginning to migrate online and in this particular case they're migrating to a free ad supported platform no subscription required so i thought that was really interesting and the other thing before people get their hopes up i do not think that that means that we are going to see a lot of a lot more live sports in free ad supported services there's it looks like the live games certainly the premium games will not be included in these channels. So for example, I think NFL will be broadcasting the Thursday night games on traditional TV, just as they have in years past. And I got a feeling that they are not gonna be included in a simulcast uh, through this 2B sports, sports area. So probably it's gonna be relying much more on library content, older older games, that type of thing. But still, it's a nice place, I think, for people to go to discover their, to, to discover their favorite sports and watch some, some good, interesting old games.
1: So when I first read about this, Colin, my first reaction was, how does this impact Fubo TV? Because Fubo, of course, has really uh, made its name in um, sports and obviously it does other things also. But sports has been criti- critical to its success then I wasn't so sure, and then I spoke to you, and I was even less sure. So, <laughs> you tell us, tell our audience, does this move by Tubi impact Fubo in some way, or is it two t- totally different things?
0: I don't think it does, and I think the fact that Fubo is also providing a channel in this experience is very telling, Will. Fubo is really specialized as the provider of live sports, the best service to get if you're providing live sports. So I think... And to to be honest, they've continued to grow, even as other of the more of their bigger peers in the virtual media, uh, virtual MVPD space, rather, have growth has slowed. And in some cases, actually, you know, they've started to actually lose a few subs. Uh, But Fubo's done very well. So I don't think it does impact Fubo. And in fact, I think Fubo sees this as an opportunity to really. Advertise the fact that it's there, and it's the place to get live sports, and that's why they're participating with the Fubo, Fubo TV network on this on um, on this service. Yeah. Interesting. Net, well, it, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a it's a very interesting move. But uh, but anyway, what what uh, uh, I, did you get time to look at any news while you've been sunning it in in, <laughs> in, in Hawaii?
1: I got some. I I've been able to get some time. Admittedly, not as much as I usually do. But one thing that did kind of surface up in my feeds this week was the um, news from YouTube that said it's partner program now has 2 million members. And this of course is the program that allows creators to make money from posting videos on YouTube that they launched about 14 years ago. Now it's hard to believe it's been that long Uh, To qualify for the program, you need to have at least a 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 hours of total watch time on your channel within the past 12 months. And then, of course, once you've done that, then you're open to being able to generate revenue through ads or subscriptions or donations, live streaming, et cetera. So um, YouTube, just to underscore how robust the growth has been in the partnership program, uh, Neil Mohan, who's the... CPO, the chief product officer there at YouTube, said that in 2020, the number of channels joining the program more than doubled compared to 2019. And the number of YouTube channels that make over hundred thousand dollars a year. So six figures or above in revenue, total revenue is up 35% year over year. So that uh, those were, I thought, pretty robust numbers from YouTube. And again, I thought really just underscored how significant, how meaningful the creator, the quote unquote creator economy is that is flourishing, not just on YouTube, of course, but across TikTok, snap, Instagram, et cetera. The, the creator economy is very real and there are lots of people doing some really, really cool creative stuff. And, you know, why does that matter? Um, in the broader context, only in the sense that as these creators become more compelling, what they do becomes more compelling. That's competition for eyeballs and competition for watch time relative to traditional Hollywood-style content, movies, TV shows, etc. Particularly for young people, they are now deciding between, do I spend the next half an hour with my favorite creators on YouTube or TikTok or wherever, or do I watch something on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon? These are very real trade-offs that are happening right now, and and I think it's worth you know everybody acknowledging and, and understanding those new, those new dynamics.
0: I think so too, Will. I mean, it, it really does uh, speak very clearly about the success of that partner program and the youtube economy i i've got to tell you that just looking at my behavior uh youtube to a large extent has become my casual tv it's as my wife says it's the place she goes when she's not sure what she, what she wants to watch or you know she just she just wants some casual viewing and they're really the the quality of the content that is being produced there now is really excellent. So we you know we're we're big fans of Bryce Bryce Livingston and his tiny excuse me Bryce Langston and his tiny house show. Gaz Oakley, he has a cooking show. Pickup lines. There's a whole bunch of producers there that are producing very very high quality content, and it just uh, it just keeps us coming back. So. This also reinforces. Remember, we, we did in, on the podcast. We talked about how much YouTube's earnings have increased. Mm. I think the connected TV viewing of this quality content is now becoming a really significant driver of that, with people spending so much time um, with the connected platforms and YouTube being so visible in many of those platforms.
1: Absolutely, that we did a podcast on that YouTube. Q2 revenue, ad revenue, a few weeks ago, $7 billion, up 84% versus a year ago. And that is being driven by what we're talking about right here, which is the flourishing partnership program and the vibrancy of all these different creators and viewers essentially moving their time over to YouTube uh, compared to these other platforms. So it's... It's, it's very competitive, and again, this is one of the reasons listeners know that I am just super bullish on, on YouTube, and this just provides more evidence. But let's not spend too much time on this, comment because I know that you have this new report out about the fast market and how big you think it's going to grow over the next three years. And I'm sure that I have not had the chance yet to be completely candid to to fully read your report, but I read your post about it, so I think I have at least the top-line insights, and I know it was a tremendous amount of work for you. And uh, I think what would be great is for you just to maybe start at the 50,000-foot level. What is the report about, and how are you differentiating FAST and AVOD services, yeah. which increasingly become look like they're becoming blurred, and then what is the forecast and what should people be taking away from that?
0: Right. First of all, when I talk about the fast market, that's free ad supported streaming TV. What we typically mean by that is services that predominantly provide what we call, what I'm calling virtual linear channels. That is, they look and smell like a regular TV channel. They have a schedule, they have ads, and you know you just start watching them and they just play video to you uh, just exactly the way traditional tv does uh, now that's not to say that fast services don't have on-demand they do have on-demand content uh, and uh, as well the on-demand providers so we mentioned 2b you know, that all of those channels that 2b was adding this morning are bas- a basic a basically linear channels, so they would be counted in the, the number of providers that are looking at virtual linear, right? So so that's how I sort of defined those. And I gotta tell you, over time, the difference between Fast and Avod is gonna, you know, is gonna expire. They 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 will be all one market. But right now they're pretty pretty distinctively separate markets. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to really look at the dynamics that are impacting this market. And I, so, I, so that's what I did, and I spoke to a lot of people that were participating in the market to get a handle on what was going on. And you know, apart from we've talked at length, I think about the extreme growth that we're seeing in the market right now. So I'm not going to I'm not going to bother going through all the data that we talked about there. But where I really spent my time, Will, was trying to really understand what's actually happening with the channels themselves. Um, how many providers, What, what are the, what's the dynamic that's driving the growth and uh, what, where that growth could potentially go in the next couple of years. So at uh, top line, the, the dynamic that's really driving this right now is that the three key stakeholders that you need to really push forward the industry are completely engaged now. We have the audience, right? People are starting to really watch. Uh, according to MAGID, 14% of people that they they spoke to in a recent survey are watching Pluto TV, for example, that's the market leader, that's clearly the market leader. Uh, so the audiences are there. The second of all is that every all of the smart TV manufacturers are completely engaged as well. So the CE market is totally there. When you buy a new TV today, it's smart, and these smart TVs have built in Fast services, so you can start watching TV immediately, and the third and most important thing is that premium content providers now are completely engaged here so you 're seeing the creation of channels from really quality assets from people like Viacom, CBS I mentioned fubo TV they 're participating in the fast market so the content content providers recognize that they can monetize their content and they can use content to help improve the monetization of existing services and content. So that's really what's going on here. And this is one of these things that's a virtuous cycle, right? You get all that happening. It brings in more advertisers. There's more money in the industry. They, they can buy better content, which will draw more audiences and propel the industry up. So that's really the, di- the dynamic that's, that's driving things. Um, So so that's all to the good. So how big is the market? Well, uh, I, I, I spent a lot of time, I and my employees spent a lot of time watching fast channels, counting ads, uh, just, you know, doing the grunt work of figuring out how many ad pods, how frequently the ads came, how many ad pods were actually filled, all of that good stuff. And we took all of that data, plus some great feedback from industry insiders. So I've got to thank Sean Doherty from Whirl. He was a great resource. Whirl, of course, is a very important company in the delivery of of these uh, virtual linear channels. And uh, I, I sort of took all of that, built a model, and came up with a forecast for where I thought the market was gonna be at the end of this year and where I thought it was gonna be at the end of 2023. And basically it boils down to this, Will. 2.1 billion this year, 4.1 4.1 billion within two years, so that market's going to double within two years. And uh, you and I were chatting just before we got on. And That's in the US. That's, sorry, terrified. I should that's say only yeah, in the US. This is this is only focused in the US. And I should there's one other caveat here as well, and that is I forecast the virtual linear channels, not the services. So the actual revenue earned by the companies that are partici- participating in this market may well either add and add up to More than that probably will add up to more than that. I was just looking at the revenue generated by these virtual linear channels.
1: (laughs) I was just going to give you a a break to catch your breath Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And ask you a question, which is to give a little bit more detail on the model itself that you built and some of the assumptions that you were making. Because as you know, and as I'm sure many of our listeners know, There have been multiple forecasts around the total CTV ad market in the U.S. Um, As an example, eMarketer presented at the Video News CTV ad summit in June a couple of months ago. They forecast currently about $13.5 billion in ad revenue, CTV in U.S. only, going to about $27.5 billion in 2025 in U.S. only. That's all of CTV. Meanwhile, Dan Salmon at BMO Capital Markets also thinks we're currently at around 13 or $14 billion, But he sees a market in 2025, again, U.S. only, of about $58 billion, if I'm recalling. And then, of course, when he goes even further out to 2030, he's talking about $100 billion. So I know that everybody who forecasts does things just a little bit differently. There's no such thing as apples-to-apples comparisons. But I think it would be great for our listeners just to get the real fundamentals on how you approach the model, modeling process, and what your key assumptions were.
0: Right, right. So you're right, and I did. I looked very carefully at those uh, that data will, because obviously um, I want to make sure that the forecast that I'm giving for this fits within that market, because they're forecasting the whole market, and it certainly does. It looked to me like virtual linear channels will be generating something like eighteen percent, some uh, of the of the total connected TV ad spend in 2021 building to about 25% in 2023 uh, which I thought was um, maybe even a little bit conservative uh, if uh, you know if the market is able to address some of the challenges that it's facing so how did I build the model Um, I did it in two ways one I sort of took a top down a top down approach where I got in data on how much people are watching and data points like, for example, that we heard that our friends at Pluto TV are forecasting that they'll earn about a billion this year. And they are very, by the way, they are very clearly the market leader. Um, sorry, and that billion number is globally for Pluto TV. Pluto TV is launched in, in multiple countries now in Europe, for example. Um, but still the lion's share of that will be in the US market. So there's a sort of top down approach, but there's a bottom up approach where I literally counted all of the channels that are available on all of the services. And I looked at how what the ad loads were. I um, I looked at the ad and ad break length and frequency. And I looked at ad fill rates and I literally this was I just measured these things. Some of them were kind of difficult to measure. Like figuring out ad fill rate is actually pretty hard because with duplication of ads, it's quite hard to tell if an ad was really duplicated or if somebody just ran an ad from a uh, from a direct sale because they had a free slot and they wanted to, you know, keep the advertiser happy. There were also some very curious things going on like we we saw this Toyota Myra, Mirai, excuse me, this ad, it, it filled a 30 second slot, but it was literally just a picture of the car with the name. So, you know, what was going on there? Was that a real ad sold? It probably wasn't. So what, where we ended up like with ad fill rates, for example, not all of this is detailed in the report, which is available for free at the website will. So they just come come to the research tab and it's right there. So we ended up with ad fill rates at between sixty and eighty percent, something in that something in that region. And as I say, we saw it was crazy. We saw ads that were eight seconds long. We saw ads that were sixty seconds long, and you know all of the the sort of breaks in that in that range fifteen, thirty, and forty five second ads. And um, we also saw uh, ads pods that included as as few as three and as many as eight ads in in one go. So eight, eight uh, ads uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it was it was pretty obnoxious. Um, That's the ad load, the total ad load, I was quite surprised. It's quite high. It's pretty much the same as you would see in traditional TV on most of the channels. So, for example, we got about thirteen or fourteen minutes of ads per hour on most of the channels. Some were higher. So, like if you're watching some of the news channels. Every story you get an ad, so there's a story ad. Story ads, very very intense. And anyway, so that's how we built the model. As I say, it was a bottom bottom up and top down approach, and uh, you know that's where we ended up at the four point one billion in twenty twenty three and two point one billion this year.
1: That's great, Colin. And are you going the additional step of making your model available at least in a Google? You know, sheet kind of thing, so people could play with assumptions and things like that. <laughs> or are you keeping the model proprietary?
0: So I'm keeping the model proprietary. Well, this is uh, this is free. Okay. This is free from the website. Um, if people want to talk to me directly about the model, I'm sure we can we can discuss that. But that will not be for free.
1: <laughs> do some custom versions of the model. Yes,
0: words. yes, absolutely. So I want to. I do want to say. I think the growth in these channels is going to remain robust for the next couple or three years Will, so that's pretty clear, there's a lot of value, but there are some really big problems here that I think the industry is going to have to solve um, if if it's really going to fulfil its true promise. One of the ones is, is just fragmentation. It's very difficult for people to figure out which which channel is on which platform and because of that it makes it very difficult for the channels and the channel brands to establish themselves in people's minds because if you've got to go and buy say a Samsung TV to be able to watch a channel that's on Samsung TV Plus and you've just bought another TV well that's not gonna happen is it? So, So this problem has to be addressed at some point I think for channel brands and that problem at least in the short term is gonna get worse because what we found is a lot of the smart TV manufacturers Are using channels now to differentiate their device and their service from others so they're building their own custom channels and so you know uh, that that could be that could be a real problem measurement is going to be a real problem and uh, I tell you some of these breaks they come up that they they come they're really no there's no ad insertion standard right now that anybody is following. They can occur in the programming at the most inopportune moments. I can tell you, I was watching the World Poker Tour channel. I love, I love to watch that channel, and boy, those ads—they didn't show up in the original ad breaks. I can tell you, they would show up right in the middle of the hand, uh, and uh, it was, it was really quite dis- disturbing sometimes. Um, where it did seem to be working really well was in the news channels. The news channels are very, on the, on the whole, are very well managed, and the breaks there occur in very regular, very very regular spots that were predictable and, and and well inserted. So it was a much better experience. But the experience on some of the other channels was really not that hot, and the industry is going to have to do better if it's going to really attract a sustained audience. Because right now, data showing you know the average viewer, the average um, a monthly active user is only watching about 10 minutes a day or like one show or two shows a week on these services?
1: That's not much, Colin. I mean, if you're talking about virtual linear being anywhere in the remote vicinity uh, of...
0: Traditional, yeah.
1: ...being a substitute yeah. for traditional linear TV, and you're talking about 10-minute watch times... That's a long, long way to go.
0: Now, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, um, it, you know, Pluto TV has told me <clears> that the watch times are much longer than that. The average watch times. And I'm sure there are, but it's it's I'm so I'm averaging these out over a, a full day. I completely believe that people are coming on and watching for an hour and a half at a, at a sitting uh, they 're just not doing it every day, so you know when I average it out in my model i 'm averaging it out on a daily basis and it comes to ten minutes a day, something like that um, so so yeah there 's lots of growth in this industry to run if they can fix some of the key problems, some of the experience problems, measurement, and um, this fragmentation issue. I got a feeling that this we could be looking at the new the new television broadcast medium here uh, that's going to take over from traditional broadcast, which is, you know, um, if that actually brings up an interesting, interesting point. I've often wondered why traditional local broadcasters haven't jumped on the connected TV operating uh, uh, the connected TV opportunity with the fast services. And I think this is why. I think it's the experience. The experience isn't quite there yet. And they're a little bit, they're probably not comfortable with the measurement and, and all of those other pieces. Um, we'll know if the fast industry has really got legs, if some of the local broadcasters s- start simulcasting their con- their yeah. their channels on, on these services.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say, Colin, is... You know not to oversimplify, but like what does it take for a local broadcaster to be in the fast business? Just simulcast your
0: yeah, not a lot
1: your air that you're putting up on the antenna or ninety percent of people watching through their paid t v subscription, just create an app in Roku and Amazon or whatever, and all of a sudden you're in the fast business, yeah, right,
0: yeah, it's tough though because. Um, unless you unless you go with somebody like a Whirl or Verizon Media or Namagi an and you go to them and, and and work with them for the distribution, you've got to do distribution on Samsung, on LG, yeah. on Bizio, yeah. on yeah. Android yeah. TV. It's yeah, it's a course. pain in the butt.
1: Of course, yeah. As I said, I didn't mean to oversimplify. Over yeah, it's not just like you flip some switch or Gazinta into a Gazada and you're done you do have to have the worlds or the imagines or whoever help you get into this world. Um, But from a content, I guess what I was thinking of more was from a content perspective to basically just replicate, as you say, simul stream, simulcast, whatever the right word, you know, word should be. And you're, you know, you're in business as a fast provider.
0: And and if that starts to happen, then I got a feeling that we're going to see this business take off even faster with growth than we're seeing today because you know, what we're seeing is we're seeing older Americans now uh, moving on to streaming and using streaming a lot. If the things that they are most familiar with are available here too, well, gosh, then they're, they're just going to spend much, much more time there and watching the things that they've grown used to watching.
1: I know we talked at the beginning, the lines get very blurry between AVOD and FAST very quickly. Even, Conceptually, they get blurry, but they also get blurry within the provider level. As you said, here's Tubi just launching a bunch of um, fast channels. What I wanted to raise was that is how YouTube plays in this space. I mean, as an example, when my kids watch YouTube, what they've told me about is that the algorithm, the recommendation algorithm, is now so strong in YouTube that they're getting fed the next video yeah. to watch that is, you know, has a high hit rate in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, meeting expectations, exceeding their expectation. So in a sense, what YouTube is doing is kind of a sneaky way in to the fast face, right? Because that's all fast really is, is stringing together on demand videos into some kind of a playlist that you sit and watch over time. It, it strikes me that YouTube seems to be kind of, sneaking their way into this too, do you, do you agree with that?
0: I, I do, um, and, and actually I've often wondered why YouTube hasn't launched the fast service itself, a real fast service. But I think there's an important distinction between the fast services and between what YouTube is doing. Um, so what YouTube is doing is totally driven by user preference, right? So they're trying to anticipate what the user wants to see. They're not really programming the, ch- the channel, Right. And it's not a, a quote channel brand, unless you unless you're on a subscriber channel and you're watching that and you're letting it play the next episode. What Fast are doing? This is pseudo-programmed. Now right. some of it right. some of it is just playlisted like that, but it is programmed. So you know if if you go to the the Hills channel, you're going to see the Hills. If you go to the game show channel, you're going to see game shows. That's that's what you're going to see.
1: I mean, yes, I I completely hear you on that. And yet, when I think about YouTube, in a sense, it's completely programmed as well with the algorithm and the recommendation yeah. engine. The only, the only difference is, instead of it be calling, being called the tiny house channel, if you will, the fast channel, the tiny house channel, it's now called the Will Richmond tiny house channel. Yeah. Because it's YouTube true. is feeding me about tiny houses but really zeroing in not just their curating human, but their algorithm is now curating and creating this thing on the fly for yeah. you. So yeah. it sort of seems to me like they're kind of birds of a feather, if you will.
0: Uh, you, but know, maybe slightly enough, you just apart. made me you just made me remember uh, there's there's even a sort of between those two, um, <laughs> Zone TV, which is run by a, a guy called Jeff Weber, great guy. and um, We should have him on sometime. He's a really, really interesting talk. He provides uh, programmed channels to operators from web content. And there he's got a number of 13, I think, 13 or so themed channels. And these are sort of in between. They're programmed, but they also adapt to what you watch and what you don't right. watch, what you skip. Right. And right. so they're sort of in between that. So yeah, you look. This is a very very interesting blurred market. Um, but you know, I was just looking more most specifically at this. The I guess what I would call the program side of things. These virtual right. linear services. These fast. Services. I think
1: that's very. I think that's very fair. And you know, to be able to kind of get your arms around just that segment of the market, I think is incredibly valuable for. The industry. So, congrats on that. I, I would then just go a step further and say, but wait, there's actually more.
0: <laughs> well, if anybody wants to sponsor me to look yeah, at the course. whole thing, I am more than willing it's, to do it. And I, I should it, say, it, I should really say thank you to Verizon for sponsoring the creation of this report. Um, I, I couldn't have done it without their sponsorship. So, because uh, they they help keep the lights right. on and pay the bills at screen Media. And well, people should stop by N-screen Media and grab Getting Fast. That's, that's the name of the paper and they can they can get that for free but anyway I think we're just about out of time and it's about, time, time. You, uh, it's about time you headed out on the golf course isn't it
1: <laughs> alright well every day is a good time to head out on the golf course so no exception there alright Colin good chatting as always go ahead as Colin said grab that report and um you know, give Colin your feedback because I'm sure, Colin, that you, you know, may want to make some updates or feedback. I'd or,
0: love you know, to. I'd love to get, get there. All
1: right, Colin. Great chatting as always. Thanks, everyone, for listening in on this week's edition of Inside the Stream. And we'll see you all again next week.
0: Inside the stream is a production of end screen media and video news, all rights reserved.